This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. On Monday, July 13th, 2020, the Washington, D.C. NFL team announced that finally, nearly 90 years after first adopting the racial slur against Native peoples as its team name, and decades of protests by Native and Indigenous people, it will change its name. On Tuesday, July 14th, I spoke to two experts about this. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm like still feeling all of the emotions. This is Jordan Marie Brings Three White Horses Daniel. She is a citizen of the Kol Wichasha Oyate, the Lower Brule Sioux Tribe in South Dakota. She has been organizing against Native mascots for years through the Rising Hearts Coalition, the indigenous-led grassroots group she founded. But it was amazing. It was, it's such a huge win. And, you know, my emotions really started the night before when I saw an alert on my phone saying that they were going to come out with an announcement about their announcement. And I already started getting emotional. Never thought I would see the day that this would happen because Dan Snyder and the NFL have been so hell-bent on not changing it. And especially Dan Snyder, he was quoted saying, never, in all caps, that he would never change the name. And I think he spoke way too soon. When Dan Snyder said never, and you can capitalize that, I had no reason to believe he would be denied because people in his position normally don't get denied. Natalie Welch is a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians and a professor of sport management at Linfield University in Oregon. I just loved seeing, you know, all my social media with Native folks that I know embracing the decision. It was a really great day and a really great week for, for Indian country, to be honest. We've had a lot of really cool things happening. We're just not used to winning in Indian country. And like it's been a story of my lifetime. And I honestly never thought I'd see the day. But yeah, it's an incredible win. This is decades of hard work. Two amazing matriarchs come to my mind who inspired me to start organizing on Change the Name and Not Your Mascot, Amanda Blackhorse and Susan Harjo. And, you know, they really took Dan Snyder and the football team and NFL to court to, to fight this injustice and to dismantle racism, which is what this name means and represents. And they, they've done so much work and I am so appreciative uh, of what they've done and what they've had to go through. Really honored and grateful to have shared, you know, multiple spaces with them and learned from them. This is hard work from so many, so many that were in the front and so many that were just behind the scenes, really putting all their, their heart and efforts into making this change happen. They are both on alert for what will come next with the team's name. Here we are. They're planning to retire the name and the logo, but I do want to make sure, you know, in keeping in the consistency of the message of what Amanda Blackhorse said is that 
they need to commit to a full rebranding and making sure that all names and all native mascots, you know, are not going to continue. And so I think that's really important because they did, they never did specify that they, they wouldn't still have some sort of native logo or mascot or anything like that. Um, so we're, so we're still hoping they're going to do the right thing by completely disconnecting themselves from that entirely. Of course, we're all still, I think, a little bit nervous. There's been rumors of like what the change is going to be and they're going to just change the name, but to then go to like warriors and keep all the imagery and all the kind of traditions. And that might be still missing the point and problematic. I saw a really great Onion headline yesterday too. It was like they changed the name to the DC R words. As Jordan mentioned earlier, Native and Indigenous people have been protesting Native mascots for decades. So why does she and Natalie think this happened now? This momentum of what we've been seeing with the dismantling and removing of Confederate statues, of segregationists, of conquistadors, of renaming street names in potentially Air Force bases, you know, this is really the momentum of Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, fighting for justice and fighting against police brutality, the horrible deaths that we've had to watch on our phones and on the TV with the death of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Nina Pop, Tony McDade, and so many other Black folks that have been taken. And, you know, we have to give them credit too, because, you know, without this movement and momentum that they have created and making this country's ugly secret and dark history more visible, this change I don't think would have been possible. Honestly, I can't say any more without saying this would not have happened without Black Lives Matter and without, I hate that it had to come at the expense of Black lives and Black bodies, but the protests and the uprising and the momentum behind that movement really pushed this to to a head and pushed sponsors and pushed the money. And I kind of joke, it's like, you got to get woke, get woke or go broke. I think that's, um, the sad thing, but it, you know, in the end, we got got the result that we were hoping for. Illuminatives, Indian Collective, and Native Organizers Alliance—they really kind of seized this moment of momentum and just created an amazing campaign to get everybody involved, to get investors to start questioning the Washington Football Team and disconnecting themselves from racism, from this kind of work and this kind of you know, prejudice and discrimination and these experiences that so many Black and Brown Indigenous folks, you know, are experiencing every single day. And this is the result of it. We have to give credit and appreciation to the Black Lives Matter movement, especially since, you know, many have been involved in this fight with us. It's really incredible for, for the unification of our movements and our histories together and just our traumas, you know, our, our pasts are very similar. People need to recognize that this country was based off the genocide of indigenous people and built by enslaved black folks. And that's the true history. And I feel like that always gets forgotten and doesn't want to be recognized or acknowledged, but we need to start recognizing that now. So I'm really happy to see that, you know, we're coming together in these movements and they're intersecting and we're able to have strength in numbers and really call and demand for change. Natalie, now a professor of sports management, grew up on the Cherokee Indian Reservation in the mountains of Cherokee, North Carolina. For most of her life, she was what she calls one of the we-have-bigger-issues natives that denied the importance of changing the mascots. Over time, though, that changed. Honestly, it was when I got the perspective off of the reservation and away from my community, where I never really was challenged about my identity, 
but when I was in another kind of living out in Portland, Oregon with a huge urban native population, I became challenged, not necessarily by natives, but by just the entire community. That really was when it kind of clicked for me and obviously the personal side, but then on the more educational side, reading about all the research and all the ways that the mascots are detrimental to our culture and our people, you can't say, well, we needed to get rid of diabetes, we need to get rid of drug problems, we need to get rid of suicide issues without thinking about the systemic ways we've been dehumanized. And so it all plays in together. And I mean, it took me 30 years to really, really make that change in perspective, but it really kind of just all dawned on me. And and of course, then you're hit with a sudden sense of guilt and shame that you haven't done more and been more vocal, but we can't think about opportunity costs. We have to think about what we can do moving forward. Natalie explained some of the issues with teams using native mascots. Again, it just goes back to like making us basically animals and mythical creatures that don't exist. Don't get me started on like the native women erasure. Basically, there's no women in any of these scenarios. It's a warrior, it's a chief, it's a brave. Where are the women? Realizing too that natives see these mascots, some natives, like my grandpa, I think see these mascots, especially because the Washington football team in our high school, the Cherokee Braves, are the exact same color scheme. My grandpa, I could see, and this was long before the Carolina Panthers, and he saw something, saw something in that. And it's like, when you don't have anything in society that looks like you or represents you at all, sure, you're probably going to latch on to something that's even cartoonish. Or the thing is, you know that that's not you. The problem is that society as a whole, if that's the, their only representation of you, then that's going to be really hard to overcome and overcome those stereotypes. And Jacqueline Keeler made a really great point recently about the Vikings. You know, why don't people have a problem with that? And it's, we have tons of examples of white men. We don't all just think white men are Vikings because we see white men on our TV every day or, you know, in the news or everywhere we look. That's where I think the issue is with natives and mascots is that most people, that's the only reference they have. I still don't really understand how people are so attached to these things. It just kills me when they say like, oh, it's our heritage. It's our history. And I'm like, do you know like the history of Native Americans in this country? When they say fan is short for fanatic, that's really 100% true in this case. But the media has responsibility here too. When you see all these tweets and headlines about the removing of a racist name and using the name, it just kind of is like, what are we doing? Some of the media didn't even mention Native Americans and like the activists at all. They were just talking about the corporate sponsors and the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was just like, what? Like, again, just complete erasure. During her research for her PhD, Natalie worked with Dr. Aaron Whiteside on how sports journalists perceive their role in the mascot issue. So I was really lucky. I met Aaron, Dr. Whiteside, before I started my PhD. A colleague of mine shared a an article she had done about sports journalists and the mascot issue and kind of their perception uh, of where they fit into that. And she had done a survey and found that like while journalists found the name problematic and found mascots problematic, they didn't necessarily make that next jump to feeling responsible. They were doing just doing their job. With sports, you're having to get access to those teams. You're having to be on their you know, list of approved journalists. You're having to go to press conferences. And 
access is really everything in sports journalism. And so that makes it really tough for any journalist to go against those names. What we did was we decided to kind of expand upon her survey and do in-depth qualitative interviews. And we saw that the people who were just kind of covering mascots as a part of their job, native mascots, they really felt just very kind of paralyzed and very stuck in a situation where you know, they had to do what was best for their job. And they're at the behest of their editors, the larger newspaper journalism. And as we all know, journalism has um, taken a hard hit in the past 10, 20 years. And so it was hard for them to really kind of fight back. And I did appreciate that a lot of the people mentioned too, like, why isn't NFL and Roger Goodell doing something? They could easily put pressure on. And I do actually 100% agree with that. But it was definitely a kind of a shifting of blame. And I was encouraged because they all seemed to be, while maybe a little bit naive, they all did seem to be very self-aware and very much like they, they wanted to learn more. But again, it kind of shows you how these power structures in sport really affects how we consume sport and the kind of control that the top of the top has in, in everything. While the Washington NFL team's name will change, there is still a lot of work to do. And if the NFL and Roger Goodell are going to call out and say, we can do better. We stand with Black Lives. This again is organizer Jordan Daniel. It's very hypocritical of them to say that they stand with Black Lives and they stand against white supremacy and, and racism when they still yet support a, a team with a racist name that is dehumanizing and ignoring Native people, the first peoples of these lands, and all that they're connected to, making sure that diversity is there, equity, justice. It needs to be in every single position. Change has to happen. This country is thriving off of systemic racism and oppression. And that's all the work that's happening right now. What we're seeing is to, to dismantle that, to create a better future that where Black and Brown Indigenous folks are being seen, heard, and respected and have the opportunities and platforms to be on to be seen and heard. Both women spoke about what specifically the Washington NFL team needs to do beyond changing the name. Well, first, I'd love to see an apology. I would just love to see them really acknowledge the land that the Washington football team is on, who are the indigenous communities in that area, and just really push that. It's, it's been going on in Canada and Australia and New Zealand for a while where people, places do land acknowledgements because it centers everything back. When you go into the stadium, have something about where this land, who were the original people of this land. Stop propping up Native Americans as the like, oh, they're not offended, so this is okay. So really moving away from that or moving towards education and reparations, right? So how can they give back to the Native community? And also I, something I've been thinking a lot about is like educating the players themselves on the history. I think players are so powerful. They all have their own social media right now, and especially as much as players move around now, like they can carry that history with them. Moving forward in any sort of process too, they need to have, you know, conversations with the community. They need to have conversations with us to hear our message rather than just brush us off. And so finally now they're they're listening to us. They're seeing what we're what we have to say and what we've been saying for decades. Instead of talking to and at Native organizations and these people, like really try to listen and have that dialogue, which I just don't think we've seen happen. And 
July 3rd when they said they were going to do the review. I don't think any natives were involved in that. You know, I think that was maybe like a brain trust with like Ron Rivera and other top brass around DC. And I really think they should start to include native people because there's plenty I think that would be love to be involved. I'm not as encouraged from the press release and things like that, but there's still plenty of time and there's plenty of people that want to do that work. And um, we're not just going to say, we're not just going to spurn you. We're going to, we're going to, we need the help. We need resources and we love any opportunity we can to have kind of a high profile platforms. There's small things and then there's a lot, a lot more long-term relationship repair that could definitely be done. And they both have thoughts on what the team should change their name to. Obviously, we did all the work in 2017 with the Go Red Hawks campaign. I saw on CNN yesterday a list of artwork that fans have done or other people proposing names and their new logos. And I saw that our Go Red Hawks logo was on that list. So that's the point of that whole campaign. It sparked a lot of positivity and like, yeah, it's that simple. Like we've had other sports teams and schools or you know, other institutions that have gone through rebranding and renaming. It really is that simple. And we changed four letters. We kept the same colors. And we designed a new logo that was not dehumanizing or racist or derogatory or insensitive. We wanted to package it up, hand it over and be like, we did all the work. (laughs) Here you go. Take it. And we wanted to show the world that it's just that simple. We showed the world a day without racism with this team what it could look like and that it's just that simple to change it. I want them to surprise me and do something, just nothing with any kind of native connotation. I I do, while I do enjoy all the DC political jokes, I I don't know how great that would be, but I kind of want them to get kind of wonky with it. I'm all about the Philly fanatic, gritty, and like the more outrageous, the more fun you can have. Because ultimately at the end of the day, like we want, we do want sports to be fun. The road ahead is long, but the Washington NFL team changing their name and logo is a real start. I mean, it's a domino effect. Everyone keeps saying, well, what about this team? What about this team? Like the Cleveland Indians or the Atlanta Braves or the Kansas City Chiefs. When you start with the most racist and pressure them and get them to do what we've been fighting for and wanting for so long, it's going to have a ripple effect. It's going to have that domino effect. And we've been seeing that. Cleveland Indians have already vowed to like not have the logo, you know, by a certain year and date, they still have the name. And now that they're, they've announced that they're going to be reevaluating everything. The fight isn't over. We need to still keep this momentum and we need to keep targeting, you know, stakeholders and investors. We need to continue these campaigns. We need to keep them going and we need to bring everyone, you know, on board with us. Because if they're able to see that this is insensitive and racist, I think we can still, you know, get that, get those wins for the other teams as well. And so many people are sending me like petitions for their school and like all of that because people are starting to see that their high schools are a big problem, um, especially with their name and mascots. And so now they're trying to get the school boards to change them and get them voted on and get them voted out. I think the most egregious things are the things like the tomahawk chop and the chief wahoos and the red faces and the the headdresses, the things like that, that are really hard to control because, you know, you have fans that are going to do whatever they want to do. And then you also have to always think about the opposing fan base. For my high school, for example, we were the Cherokee Braves and our rivals would put up signs that said, you know, the trail of tears starts here. You're never going to be able to like stop that. And I think a lot of people have really worked really hard at the high school level 
And I think that's a really great place to start because the two places most people hear about Native Americans are mascots and the Thanksgiving myth of pilgrims and Indians. And so if we can do a better job, better educating at the high school level, I just don't know if it's going to be feasible to get rid of them all in our lifetime, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. But I think we can do the work around education and advocacy and outreach, and we can put the pressure on corporations like Nike, like Adidas, have that commitment to change is, is really important. It's, it's, it's got to be all of us. It can't just be one team or one league. It's got to be kind of a collective. So it's really amazing to see the ripple effect of action and impact that this campaign is having in other communities across you know, the United States. It's really amazing to see. Jordan Daniel and Natalie Welch both do work for Native and Indigenous communities that goes beyond protesting Native mascots. Jordan is an athlete. In 2019, she ran the Boston Marathon, and at each mile, she said a prayer to help break the silence against violence happening to women in Indigenous communities, raising awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous women. She hopes to participate in the 2024 Olympic Marathon Trials. I asked her about running for justice. I'm a fourth-generation runner, and as I've gotten older, I don't want to just run for a time all the time. Like, I want to run for me. I want to run and connect with my surroundings and the lands. I want to continue this legacy within our family. In 2018, after maybe a year of really increasing my awareness and education about the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, I wanted to do something because this is happening in all of our communities. really heartbreaking to hear that in 2016, 5,712 Indigenous women were reported missing, and only 116 were reported in the Federal Department of Justice database. And so there are so many Indigenous relatives that are not even being accounted for. There are so many families out there searching for justice and wanting answers and solutions and needing that support, and there are so many advocates out there so many coalitions and organizations working to end violence um, and the systemic racism within our communities, working to try and eliminate the predators who know about the jurisdictional loopholes within tribal lands and, and reservations and knowing that you can you know, get away with murder, basically. And knowing that Indigenous women, especially and girls, you know, are targets. I wanted to do something that was more than just resharing, retweeting, participating in virtual actions. I wanted something that could create the opportunity for this discussion to happen beyond Indigenous circles because I felt like no one else was seeing this issue, this problem, this danger, aside, you know, within Indigenous communities. And it was getting depressing seeing missing flyer after missing flyer and knowing in my family, I have a cousin who was murdered and my grandmother's brother was murdered and long ago. And just knowing that this, you're either directly impacted or you know someone who has been impacted. And so you, you can't escape it. It's there. It's present. In 2018, at the San Diego Half Marathon, I decided to just dedicate my bib number to the hashtag MMIW, hoping that would spark conversations and it did with just a couple people, but it still didn't have the impact. And then a year later happened again, San Diego Half Marathon in 2019, did the same thing, sparked a couple conversations, but nothing that was outside of Indigenous conversations. And then a month later, 
the Boston Marathon. I was out there supporting Wings of America, supporting the Native youth that were there, visiting. They were juniors. They were having a college visit with Harvard, and they were also there to run the 5K, and I was a chaperone. But I wanted to be there for them. I didn't want to do anything that would take away from their attention and what they deserved. But at the same time, I was really conflicted because I was getting so sick and tired of this issue, this epidemic, and all the hard work and the families not having the support that they needed. And I just didn't know what else to do. I was like, well, clearly marches aren't enough, like rallies aren't enough, or lobbying and trying to get laws passed, like that's not enough. And I just kind of gave up and was like, you know, the only thing I know how to do is run. I've participated in prayer vigils and like prayer runs that were non-competitive. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to run for them. This is the least I can do to honor them, to pray for them, pray for their families, pray for their communities. This is my way to create and share this space that's just with them. And I don't care about a time. This is the Boston Marathon. After I'm done praying in that mile and dedicating it to this, you know, indigenous relative who's been missing and murdered, I'm going to enjoy the rest of that remaining mile to look at the Boston Marathon, have fun on the course, and then start all over again when the next mile came. It was just my way of honoring them and to let them know that I am one among so many that are not forgetting them, that want answers, that want justice, that want them to be able to move forward in their life, their families to be able to move forward. You know, with one post on social media talking about this, it changed everything. And I'm really, really grateful for the opportunities to be able to share this story and to share, you know, especially that prayer run. So this is something I'm committed to and dedicated to until we're not going missing and we're not murdered and our lives aren't disposable anymore. And sadly, I don't know if that'll happen within my lifetime, but this is something that I plan on to keep doing. 2019, I dedicated 106 prayers to 106 missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, two spirits, elders, children, 106 miles competitively out there and a hike. This is for them. This is running for justice running for solutions, running to remember and honor them. Jordan also founded the Indigenous-led grassroots group Rising Hearts Coalition that organizes and mobilizes to elevate Indian country into national public consciousness. Rising Hearts is something that was created during the Standing Rock movement for um, trying to fight the the Code Access Pipeline, NODAPO. And we just saw a huge win um, in the last couple of weeks with that Dakota Access Pipeline um, being halted. It came out of wanting visibility for Indigenous people and Indigenous voices. And when I was living in D.C., I kept seeing so many rallies, with the exception of a couple that did include Indigenous voices, but they were from outside of D.C. a lot of the time. I was seeing other organizations organizing on behalf of Native people, but not including them on those platforms and not giving land acknowledgments, especially not having them be given by the local Piscataway natives in the community. And so I started asserting myself in those conversations, going to those rallies, and then trying to find the organizer or someone that I saw on the stage and just ask them like, hi, why didn't you do a land acknowledgement? Why didn't you open up with that? Why didn't you invite, you know, the, the Tayak family, the Piscataway natives to these lands? Why didn't you invite Native people who are from these homelands, you know, in the Dakotas, which is where I'm from, to speak about this issue? Why aren't you uplifting and centering Indigenous voices? And that's how Rising Hearts came about. It was basically to ensure that what's happening in our movements and 
on the front lines, especially for Indigenous folks. But now intersecting with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, our immigrant relatives, our brown relatives, LGBTQ, two-spirit communities, I want to make sure that this is all inclusive and supportive of all of these movements because we are all fighting for equality, for justice, for visibility, and for respect, and that, you know, our lives are not disposable. Natalie is not only a professor of sport management, but she is also the founder of Creative Native, whose goal is to promote and serve the Native American community with creative stories, strategy, and solutions, and which includes the Creative Native podcast. Early in her career, she spent time working for Nike. When I was um, in undergrad in college at Tennessee and I just got into sport management, I learned about this program called Nike N7. And it was a program started by a Native American man from Montana who had worked in the factories of Nike and realized like, hey, we should do some sort of collaboration between Nike and Native American communities. And Sam McCracken's his name. And he was so great about getting in with people at Nike who needed, he needed to get in with. He is like master networker and he got to the important people and was able to establish N7. And originally the ideal was for N7 to provide shoes for native communities that were actually for diabetic patients where they needed wider shoes. But then it really evolved into kind of like a Livestrong for lack of a better reference, but where they would create an N7 line of attire, shoes, promote that just like any other Nike product to the public. Proceeds would go back to native sport organizations. It was just really great experience working with that because it is such a small little cog in the Nike wheel. And so it's basically Sam and now he's got a great designer there, a native designer that's been working a lot recently and just a lot of great collaborations in the Portland area. Initiatives at Nike, they come and go. And so the fact that Nike in seven has lasted nearly 20 years, it really says a lot, I think, about their commitment. And while, yes, they should never be selling um, Washington football team apparel, they are still doing this great work in the Native community. And it's not everything, but it is something. was at the point where I was like, I don't think academia is for me. I don't see a journal article helping my community and helping the Native community in general. And so I wanted to kind of pivot and thought about, I had been thinking about this idea of like doing consultation, starting a podcast. And so based on my other experiences as a a producer, and I just feel like I have a lot to offer. And so I um, sort of created Native with that kind of intention to like be able to help when people are trying to trying to plan Native American Heritage Nights and be a liaison, something I had done in my professional career, be a liaison between a corporation and a tribe. I think that we, we often say Native Americans, we have to walk in two worlds. If we're you know, not on our reservation, we have to walk in our you know, Native heritage world and our beliefs, but we also have to walk in the white man's world. And so I think utilizing my experience there and really just wanting to do what I could to give back to the community and provide solutions that help both corporate and businesses, but also Native Americans. And all the while having that sport theme throughout. The cool thing about being a professor now is that I get to educate students on on the things like the mascot issue. And also for me, it's important to be a representation in sport management specifically, because I, you would not believe how many people 
he said, oh, are you like in native studies? Is that what you, and I'm like, no, I'm, uh, I'm sport management. Like that's my, I'm, that's my background, sport marketing. And, and I don't know of any other native women in sport management. I'd love to hear if any listeners are out there. And I've had so many students reach out to me this past couple of weeks to be like, I'm so thankful I had you and your perspective about this to like, know because unfortunately they don't know native American other than, you know, the one professor they had. That's been really meaningful and rewarding. I'm always torn about not being home and serving my tribe directly, but I think I'm doing it in my own way. And I always say my retirement is going to be athletic director at my high school one day. And so I do I ultimately plan to go back. I think there's some really cool things that I can do for my tribe, not necessarily being home and being, being on the reservation. Please follow the work of both of these women. For Jordan... Yeah, people can find me on Instagram at native in underscore LA and at rising underscore hearts on Instagram. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at the same same names as well. And just stay tuned for, for what we have coming. For Natalie. I am on Twitter at rerun that R-E-R-U-N-N-A-T like a TV rerun. And I am also a runner, but uh, at rerun that on Twitter, Instagram nataliewelch.com you will find all the links to creative native from there that's it for this hot take thank you all for joining us and a special thank you to jordan daniel and natalie welch for talking with me especially on such short notice thank you so much yes i appreciate it thanks jessica this episode was hosted and produced by me jessica luther you can find burn it all down on facebook twitter and instagram If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. Thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. Until next time, burn on, not out.